Blog Talk Radio. Ladies and gentlemen, this is your show. 
y'all have made this show in a year and a half to where it's taken on its own life form. I mean, right today, I did the numbers. I have didn't finish the numbers for all the podcasts, but just on this show alone, we are at 94,606 listeners. We are 5,394 listeners away from 100,000 listeners just on the show. Now, based on my other numbers from a few days back, when you add that to all the podcasts that were heard on, we're pretty darn close to 130,000 listeners. Now, that takes into consideration we are heard on iTunes and YouTube and Stitcher and TuneIn Radio and FM.com and um, SoundCloud and MixCloud and Spreaker. What did I leave out? Podcast.com and Podcast Garden and a whole host of other podcasts that I don't even put this show up on. Someone else does. The, the beautiful thing is we have now made it to iHeartRadio under podcast, under Southern Chats with Yvonne Mason. That is a coup that I've been working on for years. iHeartRadio. I mean, it doesn't get any better than that. And it's all because of y'all, the listeners, the 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 guests that keep coming back and, and bringing more people with them and sharing the show and promoting the show. My father was in business for years, and he never put an ad in the Yellow Pages. He never put a billboard up. He handed out his business card, and it was word of mouth. He, When my father retired, he was still putting in heat in air, in air conditioning units for great-grandchildren of his original customers. I learned from my father. God love him. So knowing that, ladies and gentlemen, there's two ways you can get on this show. One, if you want to come on the show and, and chat with me for an hour and 130,000 of our closest friends, contact me on offthechainradio at yahoo.com. If you're a little bit shy and not real sure and you want to just get your feet wet but you want to still get exposure in over 100 countries, contact me either on Facebook or off the chain radio at yahoo.com and tell me you want to do an ad. I will run your ad for a month. Whether I have four shows a week, five shows a week, for an entire month I will run your ad and it will only cost you 10 bucks for me to run the ad. My idea is not to make a bunch of money. My idea is to give you guys exposure. So I want to help y'all be successful. And we do have a corporate sponsor. Her name is Cece Chamberlain, and she has her own podcast called Inside Your Life with Cece, which is a motivational, passionate conversation. I've been on that show. When I got off the show, I was walking on air. Cece interviews people who are living their true purposes, whether it be a professional boxer, an author, or a history enthusiast. She strives to give you hope for a better light day with her inspirational words. So download, subscribe, and listen as she guides you to pursue your dreams and for you to live your best life. This great show is available on podcast.com, iTunes, Google Play, and elsewhere podcasts are available. And I want to welcome three more sponsors, and we will be playing their ads during the show. The And I Thought Ladies, which are absolutely marvelous, author Nancy Quinn and author Gary Starter. And like I said, we'll be playing their ads a little later on in the show. But first, I want to welcome 
an author to the show that has never been on my show before, but God love him. He's been waiting patiently. If it's been me, I'd have probably given up by now. But this man has got perseverance, and, and that is wonderful in my book. Author Marty Ruppelt. He was Thank born you so raised, much. You are welcome. He was born and raised in Cleveland, Ohio, and he was brought up with Grimm's Fairy Tales, which are my favorite. <laughs> and they read to him at bedtime. He later ran across horror novels that his mother borrowed from the local library by contemporary masters of the horror genre, Stephen King, Dean Coots, Peter Straub. And it's small wonder because his parents, and I can't wait to talk about this, <laughs> migrated, emigrated from Transylvania. That's on my bucket list to go visit. I want to go to Transylvania. Marty's original profession was acting. He lived in New York for a while, appeared in a few shows on off-off-Broadway, probably, you know, down an alley somewhere. Who knows? But <laughs> any any, Broadway, right. any any show off-off-Broadway or on-Broadway, this was at the Spectrum Theater, and as an extra on the soap opera Guiding Light, we have a real-life soap opera actor on our show tonight. Maybe he can give us some inside, you know, things on Guiding Light. So after returning to Cleveland, he continued acting on stage in local commercials and training films and feature and cable films. He also worked a wide variety of day and nighttime jobs. He has clean swimming pools, delivered newspapers, been a security guard, waited tables, tended bar. So when he's not writing a short story or novel, he works as a Starbucks barista. He finds ways he enjoys finding ways to use his diverse life experience to enhance his storytelling. And we're going to talk about his pet project, which is St. Herman's House. It's a men's homeless shelter in Cleveland. And apparently got into some bad press, but we're going to get into that on your own. First of all, welcome, my friend. Thank you so, so much for being patient with me and coming on the show tonight. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm so I'm so very grateful for this. Uh, this 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 hour is going to be wonderful. I'm sure. Well, and it's going to fly by. I'm going to say. Uh, you're not yeah, gonna I believe that. This. I believe that. <laughs> and you're going to say what? <laughs> but that's what happens <laughs> when we have fun here on off the chain. So let's talk about you. Let's talk about your history. I know that you weren't born going. I'm going to go act one day, or I'm going to write one day. <laughs> Well, well no, I wasn't. Well, um, strangely enough, uh, uh, acting came a little bit later, but uh, I, there something happened when I was oh five or six years old, maybe maybe not even that, quite that old. That should have told me what I was going to eventually end up as. Um, my mom, uh, uh, and, and we'll we'll get to the Transylvania stuff in a moment, but my I mom. I loved it when I uh, read that. She, Oh, oh wow! It, Good, it, and it's it's true. And she, um, uh, she and my dad, they, they came to this country and they they landed in Cleveland. They didn't know English at all, and my mom had to learn English in, uh, in night school. But she was when she did learn English, she was just a, a voracious reader, and uh, uh, she would take me to the local uh, uh, the local library. Um, in summer especially it was nice because it was it's about an, uh, a mile and a quarter mile and a half away from where we lived and she would walk and I would get on my tricycle I had this little red tricycle um and I would just go along with my mom to the library and I learned the way to the library 
and we'd spend hours there. She'd be looking at a bunch of books that she'd think about taking home, and then she'd read a little bit, and she'd, we'd spend hours at the library. Well, one day I decided I was going to go to the library, and uh, my mom wasn't, uh, it wasn't in the plan for the day, but I didn't care. I went to the library. I got on my tricycle, and I rode up to the library. And the librarian knew my mom, and she knew me, and she looked at me, and she says, where's your mom? And I said, oh, she's at home. <laughs> and a little later in the day when my dad got home from work, because my mom didn't know how to drive at the time. This is 1966 or 67, uh, probably 66. And so my dad picked her up, and they got to the library, and uh, I was just hanging out there looking at some books. And you know, they, they were, of course, they were frantic because they had no idea where I had gone until the library, until the librarian had called up my mom and said, hey, yeah, we got your son here. <laughs> <laughs> I should have known, you know, uh, I, I look back on that story and I think, well, yeah, of course I was going to be a writer. You know, uh, that, that, that made sense. The acting came later, and the acting was part of my mom's doing, too, in a way. Um, she was in charge. She and my dad belonged to, my whole family belonged to the uh, uh, Saxon Club, the Transylvania Saxon Club in Cleveland. A lot of uh, um, cities, especially in uh, in Ohio, uh, they had a, 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 a group of Saxons that would, you know, they, they, they banded together and we each had our club. And every Christmas, my mom was in charge of the Christmas show. So we would go in like October and we would go to the library again and look at some plays that uh, might be good for toddlers and just above toddler age. And she would direct that. And I was on stage in front of people that I was growing up in front of. All these adults, there were probably three or four hundred people in the audience. And I was absolutely just terrified. I was terrified of doing this. And I cannot imagine how it, I still don't understand how it happened that in uh, in junior high, I uh, decided I wanted to audition for the uh, you know, one-act play festival. And uh, our class was doing a, uh, doing a, they were doing a play. And I said, well, I want to I audition for this. And, that, and then I was hooked. That was what I wanted to do. I just decided, oh, okay, this is, wow, this is awesome, this is great. It was the applause, you know. Uh-huh. And, uh, I'm, I'm not sure a lot of actors would admit it, but I just, boy, that applause was like a drug. And it, it, I said, it's boy. It's vilification that oh, accomplish something. Yeah, yeah. And I said, I want, I want this. So all through high school, um, I did every show that I could get into. And... Um, after high school, well, during high school, I decided I wanted to go into this as a profession. My parents, who <laughs> grew up as farmers and came to this country as laborers, just kind of went, what? Um, don't you, you want to go to college, don't you? I, said, nah, I don't need to go to college to be an actor. And I didn't. I went to New York, where uh, my mom said, well, I've got a cousin who lives in New York. Uh, and she married some actor, and uh, I think he's on a soap opera or something like that. Uh, look her up. So I looked her up, and it was uh, Maria Halswit, who was, uh, she's married to Mart Halswit, who was Ed Bauer on Guiding Light for like 13 or 15 years. And uh, uh, we met, and he said, well, I can, I can get you some extra work on Guiding Light, which was really kind of cool. And uh, I 
was on there. Uh, I actually was in an elevator scene very briefly. Didn't have any lines ever, but I was very briefly in an elevator scene with uh, Kevin Bacon. Wow. So if anybody we, ever wants to, yeah, you can play Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon. You got somebody right here who uh, who was in an elevator scene with him. It was pretty hilarious. Let's run this ad for author Nancy Quinn right quick, and we'll come back to the getting light, ladies and gentlemen, with our guest, <laughs> Marty Roppelt. Do you have cougars on your porch swing? <coughs> Our horse is your new best friend. Do your nicest shoes get buried knee-deep in snow as your toes turn blue? Are you bothered by wolves at your woodpile? No, not that kind of wolf. Join wildlife artist and author Nancy Quinn and her family as they discover an exciting new life in Go West, Young Woman, a true Montana adventure. Available online and in bookstores. Or visit quinnwildlifeart.com for a personalized signed copy. Critics agree. It's a hoot. And that is author Nancy Quinn. She can be found at Barnes & Noble and at Amazon. And go look her up. We are with author Marty Roppelt, and he is telling us some inside secrets about his time on The Guiding Light with Kevin Bacon, of all people. <laughs> Yeah, that was uh, that was his start. Kevin Bacon was uh, um, at the very beginning of his career then, and uh, was doing some marvelous work on Guiding Light. Really, uh, very very popular even back then. Um, uh, it was uh, it, it was a lot of fun. It wasn't a whole lot of money, and that was the problem in New York. Um, if you don't have money, it's uh, if you have money, it's a great place to be. Even that, even in the early '80s when I was there, if you don't have money, it's not a very nice place to be at all. So <laughs> when the money ran out, I went back to Cleveland, and um, still, you know, I stayed in the theater. I uh, uh, got together. Uh, well, I met a I met a friend of mine uh, named Frank Lucas, and we started a um, small professional theater called Bratnall Playhouse. And uh, we ran for, uh, oh, eight or ten years. Um, did some pretty good work there, but, you know, eventually, again, it's the money problem. If you don't have the money, you, you can't keep producing the work. Um, got so to do a few movies. Is, is your first love writing or is your first love acting? I think, honestly, my first love is writing. Um did some uh, short story work when I was in grade school. I uh, I wrote a short story. I don't remember the name of it, and this was probably fourth or fifth grade, and I wrote a short story about uh, uh, a man who was being chased by some criminals, and he runs up the Eiffel Tower, and then he comes back down and hides in a garbage bin, and the, uh, the thieves he loses the thieves by hiding in a garbage bin at the base of the Eiffel Tower. Um, I remember the story. I just don't remember what it was called, and I remember getting a B on it. Um, <laughs> Why did they give you a big shame on them? Oh, it was <laughs> I think the B was probably deserved. I don't have a problem with that. Um, and that was well before, because at that point I was still terrified of being on stage. So I, I have to say honestly that I think the the writing was my first love. I, I kind of gave it up for my second love for quite a while. 
but then I um, I got married in, to my first wife in 1990, and uh, we moved to Atlanta from Cleveland. And um, I started okay. writing. Yeah, well, and it's uh, boy, I I have a I, I have two minds of Atlanta really, uh, and and I'll get to that in a sec. Uh, I, I started writing creative letters back to, uh, home to friends and family, and uh, a couple of my friends, uh, my old friend JT, uh, uh, John Thomas, we have been friends since grade school, and his uh, his wife then Laura, uh, they both said you should write. You know, these letters are really cool. You should write. And then I started writing again. Um, Atlanta was a was an odd situation for me. Uh, it was a very, very difficult decade uh, in my life that I was there. Uh, my, my, my wife, uh, we, we got married in 1990. We got divorced in 1995. Um, and it, it was really, really tough. So I can't really say that I... I want to say I did not like Atlanta, but I can't say that because that was really colored by my uh, by my personal circumstances at the time. I think Atlanta as a city is really cool. Um, boy, I, I can think of a lot of places that I had a, uh, I had a lot of fun at, a lot of places that I really enjoyed being, um, and would have enjoyed more if it wasn't such a you know personal disaster. You know, it, it's. Um, you should go back it's, it's to Atlanta now and, and revisit Atlanta and look at it through a fresh set of eyes. I'd like to do that. I still have some people down there that I, uh, that I love dearly, that I uh, really uh, – one of my friends, uh, Elise Varnado. If you're listening, Elise, hi. Hi, hon. We'll be in touch soon. Uh, just, a, just a marvelous, marvelous – and her, her family, just wonderful people. Um, uh, they're originally from, well, her family is still out in, uh, in Savannah. Um, and I enjoyed going to Savannah too, uh, on occasion as a, that's a, a charming town. There, there's a lot that could and should be loved there. And I would like to see them with, uh, see it with fresh eyes again. You know, at the, at the time it was, uh, boy, and my wife was, uh, uh, she was in the theater too. And she said, I want to go down to Atlanta. There's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of opportunity there. And it wasn't going to be an opportunity for me because I was union. I had I'd been in the union ah. since uh, Guiding Light. And Atlanta's a, a, a – Georgia's a right-to-work state. They don't yep. like union actors, don't they? <laughs> so no. Now, it, it when kinda, you were there, yeah. when you were there, were you able to go to the Fox Theater? Oh, yeah, yeah. Isn't that an Actually, amazing uh, it's theater? It's a – Marvelous, marvelous theater. I, I went there several times, and uh, uh, and actually was uh, went there to uh, cater some uh, uh, some parties. It's a it's a lovely, lovely theater, and I'm assuming there's uh, they've done some more restoration on it. At the time, I think yeah. they were uh, they were doing some work on it, and I hope that they restored it to is, its former glory because it's just gorgeous. When 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 one walks into that theater, one feels that one should be. And long, elegant gowns and furs mm-hmm. and jewels and t- tails and walking yes. stick top hats. Yes, yes, it it very much has that feel to it. It's just it's it's beautiful. It's beautiful, oh, uh, beautiful right. place. You, see, you got to go back to Atlanta, Marty. You just got to yes. go back to Atlanta because I'm going to tell you. It is like New Orleans with its creative juices and its, mm-hmm. its 
eclectic culture. I mean, I mean, it's a true. Atlanta is built on three layers. I didn't know if you know that or not. But oh yeah, you have yeah. underground Atlanta, which was burnt to the ground during the War of Northern Aggression, which is what we mm-hmm. call it. And mm-hmm. if if you've never been to underground Atlanta, you should go. Just I have, just yes. See, again, the atmosphere. Mm-hmm. Right, yes, yes. Oh, and, and I, the, uh, underground Atlanta, is it still open? Because uh, I know they were talking about closing it down. Uh, I think I, I think some parts of it are. What it does, it's like it. It's like it is like Atlanta itself, in that it burns itself down and then it rises like Phoenix out of the ashes. Uh-huh. It's then that when they first opened it back in the sixties when they went in there and they redid everything and they had Dante's down under and all those nice restaurants. Yeah, yeah. Crime got so bad so people quit going so they shut everything down. Then they revitalized it again. Now, I don't know if it's shut down now or not, but it would be worth checking into because it would make great mysteries and great horror stories. And it's oh, full of yeah. It, it's beautiful. It, it really is a very, very uh, – um, I, w- I was there in 93 or 94, and uh, um, it must have been 94 because I was walking with a cane. I'd had a motorcycle accident. I remember that. Um and uh, uh, it was it was I thought it was just really charming in in a very almost kind of dark kind of way. Yes, uh, it yes. had a it had a very dark charm to it. And and you know we were talking earlier about when you walk when you were bartending and doing catering and you walk into places and you would feel that there had been something that had happened. That, oh yeah. That's what you get when you go to underground because. When Sherman came through and burned Atlanta, that's what he burned down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's the original Atlanta that was burnt to the ground. So you got to go yeah. back. Yeah. Now, no, I'll have to. Uh, I'll have to bring my wife Becky down there sometime just to absolutely. just to shore the old stomping grounds and 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 uh, take a look. I spent a lot of time in Buckhead. Um, yes. Because uh, that was where I was working. The Magianos up in Buckhead was the last place that I worked before uh, before I came back to Cleveland again. Uh, that's, where the elite, that's, that's where the elite. That's where the elite echelon used to live. Yeah, yeah. And I want to talk about your parents in Transylvania, but let's run this. Let's let's take a thirty second break for the and 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 I thought, ladies, I can't talk tonight. We'll be right back <laughs> with our with our guest Marty Ropel. So hang on, ladies and gentlemen. One. And Winona, the lovable narcissist from the Women's Cave, Cave Podcast. Podcast, inviting you to join us in person or streaming at the Inspirational Women in Literature Conference on March 17th. Get tickets to the conference, buy our books, or watch the TV show Just Right in Life at andwethought.com or thewomenscave.com. So peace and love from Winona and Jade. These ladies are magnificent, ladies and gentlemen. I have read one of their books, and I'm going to tell you, they are great. So check them out, and you can do the virtual um, show, but you have to go and get the ticket. So it's the And I Thought Ladies, and check them out. We are with our guest, Marty Rockwell, and we are getting ready to talk about one of my favorite, favorite cities that I've never visited 
but it's always been on my bucket list. Transylvania, where his wonderful parents migrated from. So why did they leave Transylvania? Oh, well, um, my folks came here uh, It was shortly after the Second World War. Uh, all of Europe was chaos at that point uh, because all of, all of Europe had been torn up to some degree. And um, Transylvania was... Well, uh, at that point, it was uh, uh, it had been been invaded a couple of times. You had the Germans coming through on their way to Russia, and then you had the Russians coming through chasing the Germans back. And these people had no idea what was going. The, the whole place was really pretty much devastated, and it, it was poor to start out with. Mm-hmm. So my uh, my mom and her family they came first. They came in 1950. Now my memory is failing me. I think it was 1953 or 1955, somewhere around there. My dad came later, um, a couple of years only uh, later, because he had been in the German army. Um, and I'll explain that in a second. Uh, and they, uh, any anybody who was in the German armed forces, they were, uh, uh, boy, the French were really, they were really ticked off, so they were going through everybody's papers to make sure that they weren't a criminal. And, uh, um, I mean, if anybody's going to find a criminal, it's going to be the French. And they said, okay, great, you're fine. But he, it took him five years before he could uh, before he could come over. He'd already had an aunt who was here. Uh, she had come over in 1914. Um, so she had been here, so he had somebody that, they could, that he could stay with. But uh, it was uh, the rest of my dad's family stayed in Transylvania, and they couldn't leave until oh gosh, it was the mid 1970s, because yeah. uh, the communists took over after a while, and the communists were very you know tight-fisted. The uh, Saxons, the German people who lived in Transylvania, the Saxons, um, they were the farmers, and they were the people who were you know <laughs> they were feeding the country. So they held on to these guys, and uh, eventually they uh, there was there's something happened in the 70s politically that allowed them to go. And my dad's family left Transylvania, but they only went to uh, West Germany, what was then West Germany. Um, there now I had a chance to go to Transylvania. Um, I was well, I was like four and a half years old. This is 1966, but I remember a great deal of it. I mean, it's just, it's burned into my head. I remember that in my dad's village, it's 1966 now, they still had only dirt roads. They did not have indoor plumbing. Um, you, there were two pumps in the town where you would pump the water for that, that you would need, and you're carrying a bucket. Right? And then there was a privy out back of the house. Um, anybody who was going to get anywhere had to walk. If you didn't have a horse, you walked. And um, they didn't have tractors to go out in the field. They had oxen. Um, it was, I mean, it was bare bones. There was electricity. Uh, if I recall, my my dad's old house had one light bulb in it and enough juice to power my uncle's blau-punked radio. And every night he would tooled around on the radio looking for the Beatles. He was a big Beatles fan. And he had to do it really very quietly because the communists didn't like that. So <laughs> you didn't want your neighbors turning you in because you were listening to a hard day's night on the radio late at night. <laughs> Couldn't blast it out. 
Uh, nope, nope, nope. You, you had one one volume, and that was low. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it was uh, it was really uh, it was wonderful. It was a wonderful trip. Um, the the uh, the uh, Saxons there, the the ladies, <laughs> would look at my mom, and uh, um, again, everything was it was very bare bones. They didn't uh, they didn't have they had like one place that counted as a general store, and that that was where the town telephone was. <laughs> Otherwise, nobody was calling anybody, and my mom had um, uh, she had a beehive hairdo at the time, and uh, the the ladies of the town called her Susie with the American hair. <laughs> <laughs> my dad, my dad's service in the German military when when the Germans put together their 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 uh, their military they claimed that everybody of any german blood was still german no matter where they were and uh, the saxons in transylvania this is in romania okay this is this is a little bit this is a little bit uh, east of germany um didn't matter you were german so when the germans came through they said okay we're grabbing everybody who's german and you're going to be wearing a uniform and guess what you're going to russia now <laughs> My dad didn't want to go oh, to Russia. Bah. You know, <laughs> he, this he show no... was heard in this show was heard in Romania, by the way. Oh, oh, is it really? Yes. It's in my fudge. See, you did it. Just... Yeah, that's one of the hundred countries we're heard in now. Oh, that's wonderful. So this that's makes wonderful. this even more exciting. That, that oh, I get great. to hear some history, living history, mm. and. People, maybe some of your family gets to hear you. Who knows? Oh, that's that's possible. That's possible. I'm I'm just. I'll tell you what. I'm glad to be here because in my dad's unit, in his uh, in his German army unit, they suffered like ninety percent casualties. Wow. So even that he that he lived to come back and uh, and, and have me. That, that's kind of miraculous, right there. So I'm <laughs> really really grateful to be anywhere right now. Really. Well, see there there. I am a person of deep faith, and and I believe that God has a plan for everybody. And Mm -hmm. God has a plan for your dad, and it was to apparently be with your mom and and put you in my life so we can have this conversation and laugh and and talk about books and talk about your life and how marvelous it's been. And that brings me to St. Herman's house. Ah, St. Herman's house. Oh gosh, I uh, I knew about St. Herman's House um when I was in high school. I'd I'd heard about it then and um didn't really put much thought to it because you're in high school, you're not thinking about much except you. So, it wasn't it, it really wasn't a whole uh, a big thing. Now my uh, a, f- a friend of mine Keith Coffrin, uh we had uh we had driven out to uh, the place that is next door to, uh, to St. Herman's house, it's uh, the Franklin Castle, one of the most haunted places in Ohio and possibly in, in the world. It's, it's a really deeply disturbing place. And St. Herman's house is uh, in a, um, it's in a colonial, big colonial house next door. And we happened to walk back uh, in, in the alley behind St. Herman's because we wanted to get to the back of the castle and take a look at that. And we saw this really strange-looking fellow with a. With, I mean, he, he was a very white skin, and he 
kind of glowed a little bit in, in the light and he had this big beard and he was wearing this cassock and I thought, well, that, well you're kind of strange, dude, but okay. And he was just looking at us like boring holes into us and we didn't, we didn't, we were very uncomfortable. We just got into our cars and left. Years later, uh, this is, geez, this is back 2011. I heard this story. I, I couldn't believe it, and I checked up on uh, on the Cleveland.com uh, website. It's run by the Cleveland Plain Dealer, the, the city newspaper. And apparently somebody had walked past St. Herman's house. There was a car parked in front of it, and there was a gun on the front seat, just sitting there on the front seat. So we called the police. And the police came, and they, uh, they started asking some questions. Now, the... Uh, fellow who ran St. Herman's at the time was uh, a monk named uh, um, uh, Brother John Henry. And uh, he, what the police found was really very disturbing. Uh, there, there's a house across the street from St. Herman's that was owned by St. Herman's as well, and they used that for storage. In that house, they found hundreds of guns, rifles, um, uh, of, of every caliber and description. They found thousands of boxes of ammunition. And they said, we have a problem here. Um, this, is, this is in amongst a whole bunch of other stuff that was being hoarded there. There is also a uh, farm uh, south of the town that uh, uh, St. Herman's uses to, they raise cattle for uh for meat for food and they uh they grow some uh, some produce there they found more weapons and ammo there oh my word and they they asked brother john henry okay what's what's the scoop and his answer was well they don't i don't have a retirement package <laughs> well i'm selling and guns they said Okay. Um, uh, to my knowledge, Brother John Henry is now um, resting comfortably on a in a on a farm in New York State somewhere. Um, he just went he just went off the reservation and he had collected all these guns. I, I'm assuming to sell. Well, you know, this is all hitting the papers and uh, people around Cleveland are are just. Mortified, they're thinking that there's going to be this uprising by a, like twenty homeless guys who don't even know about the guns. They don't care about the guns. They, they don't know anything. They, they, you know, they're happy to have their roof over their head and their clothes and their food, and that's, you know, that's that's it. But people were freaking out, and understandably so. Well, the problem was that all the donations, the donation money, dried up in a hurry. Nobody oh, sure. wanted to support this. And they just they they went uh, <laughs> no we're not giving money to this. So when I heard about that, I thought, okay, I don't have money. I, I'm not a rich guy. I'm a Starbucks barista. I'm not a rich guy. What do I have that I can help with? How can I help? And I thought, well, I have. Uh, I had just the year before I'd written a short Christmas story, and I thought, you know what? I can write short stories, and I can sell these online and raise money for uh, St. Herman's. And uh, to date, I've got four short stories that I've, uh, that I've written. And three of them are companion pieces, and one of them is just kind of a one-off. But to date, I've raised uh, 
I'm going to say about $1,500. It's not a princely sum, but you'd be amazed what they can do with a buck over there. I mean, they have uh, they have they people who will help. They can from one end of the house to the other, I'm going to tell you. They know how to oh, stretch a yeah. dollar. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. They uh, Well, they, they have uh, um, five bucks will get a um, uh, uh, one of their residents a haircut uh, and... Uh, and a and a fresh set of clothes. Now, and they don't just house these gentlemen. They um, they teach them skills. You know, they they teach them how to how to interview for a job. They teach them social skills. They 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 do their best to get them into a position where they can help themselves. You know, it's not just a it's not just a handout. And and that's why I think this is really uh, kind of a uh, to me it's a worthy cause. Because Absolutely. It's, if, if, if it were just a handout, uh, there, there are a lot of places where I could, you know, just give money as a handout, too. But uh, it, it just strikes me as something very worthy, some, uh, a really, really important cause to me. So what I also do is, and I haven't been as diligent about this as I, as I should be, but uh, every week Starbucks gives uh, – its employees a um, uh, what they call a mark out. We can mark out a pound of coffee or a box of tea. And one of the one of the needs that St. Herman's has is coffee. So what I'll do is I'll, I'll get coffee for Becky and me. Um, but we go through a pound every like two weeks. The other two weeks of the month, I'll get a pound and uh, grind it up and send it to St. Herman's. Perfect. Uh, there's no point. And, in, and there's what, no point in wasting a free coffee. You know. Now, and what you're also doing and what St. Herman's is doing is it's helping these men gain their self-respect. Yeah, yeah. And, and if, if, if someone loses that one thing, you know, you can lose your home, you can lose your clothes, you can lose your money, as long as you still have your self-respect. And most of them, I would venture to say, lost their self-respect a long time ago for whatever reason. Yeah. Yeah, and some of them can't do uh, for themselves. Some of them have uh, mental or emotional issues, or uh, or a, they've they've kicked a drug a drug habit that's already damaged them too much. Um, they are assessed on a month to month basis, and it's decided each month whether they are going to stay there or whether they have progressed enough to go out into the job market and uh, and take a crack at it and that's part of the other uh, the other part of the problem is uh, the, the job market is really unkind mm-hmm. uh, it's uh, it it's not easy to find a gig right now so on that note let's do this last ad for author Gary Starter and then I want to talk about mortal foes so ladies and gentlemen let's take a quick break and we'll be right back with our guest Arthur author Marty Ropel. So hold on. Former Boston PD Captain Stanford Carter and his wife, forensic scientist Jill Seacrest, have decided to move to the Big Apple to accept positions with the New York branch of the FBI. Rookie agent Shania Deep Rose completes the Trinity as they collide head-on with raging and rampant social, political, and economic unrest amid a string of murders that seem unrelated and may be serial, copycat, thrill, or hate-driven as they struggle to understand the mind and thought process of the orchestrators, killers, and victims, the team begins to wonder 
who's who. The line between black and white, superior and subordinate, right and wrong, and good and evil disappears as they are forced to reevaluate their own thoughts, feelings, and philosophies. Ultimately, every character must come to their own conclusions to these questions. Is justice ever more important than the law? Is playing God justifiable if it's for the greater good of all? Come along for the ride to see if Agent Carter will decide to stick to being a hunter or become judge, jury, and executioner instead. Find the answers to these questions when you read the new book, The Killing Collective. The Killing Collective is a character-driven story with big characters with depth. They're soul-searching in addition to the biggest case of the agent's careers. The Killing Collective, available on Amazon in both Kindle and paperback editions. Order your copy today. That is The Killing Collective by author Gary Starter. No, y'all cannot go now. you got to wait until after we get off the show with our guest. That's rude. Author Marty Rappelt, and he has a book out. He's got several books out, but this is his latest one called Mortal Foe. And he spelled it F-O-E. Okay, Explain this book to me. Okay, it's um, we're uh, and it's not quite out yet. It's going to be published. Uh, we want to get it out before uh, by spring, uh, because part of it is uh, involves baseball. It's um, it's about a young man who sees images through his grandfather's camera that no one else can see, and he comes to believe that these images are of a demon that curses his city and its baseball team. Now, see, I've, I've always – I wanted to write something that was close to me uh, for my first novel, something that, uh, something that I've experienced in one degree uh, – to one degree or another. And I've always loved sports. Now, I was never even a decent athlete, uh, never. I, I mean, I had good hands, but not good hand-eye coordination and pretty much the speed of a parked car. Uh, <laughs> my mom came humor. to watch me – Oh, I'm I'm dead serious. My mom came to watch me play little league baseball in the early 1970s, um, and and that got her interested in our uh, our hometown major league team, the Indians, the Cleveland Indians, and they were terrible in the 1970s. They were awful. Now, mom would drag her lawn chair across the street to our little league diamonds, and she she'd listen on her transistor radio. Do you remember those as little? No, yeah. She'd, she'd listen on her transistor radio to one of the worst professional teams <laughs> while watching me, one of the worst players on the field. I swear, she was up for sainthood. I don't know. And it was hilarious because we'd be playing our game, and all the other parents would kind of crowd around my mom, and they'd be watching us play. And every once in a while, I'd, <laughs> I'd, my mom would make a face, and, and they'd look at her and say, what's the score? <laughs> so they'd be kind of like... <laughs> Huddling around her to catch the the Indian score too, and they it was it was just wonderful. It's a wonderful memory of a really just awful team. <laughs> oh yeah, no, I was so, I was a terrible athlete, but I, but I but baseball has always been a love of mine. And this the genesis of this story was a short story that I wrote when I was um, I, I, I took a course called the Long Ridge Writers Course. And um, 
my uh, my mentor is a, a wonderful author herself. Uh, uh, oh my gosh, forgive me uh, if you're listening because I can't remember your name. It'll come to me in a couple of hours, I'm sure. Um, uh, uh, um, ah, it'll come to going. you when you least expect it. it. It'll it'll come to. I'll give you a call back. <laughs> but she. Uh, um, uh, I, I'd written this short story about a couple of uh, a, 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 a father and son who are watching a ball game, and the, the son sees this this demon in the stands and uh, wants to go and confront it. And the dad says, "What are you going to do when you get there?" And the son has no idea. So that that whole you know, chase down the demon thing kind of goes away. But it the, the story kind of work its way out outward from that i found that 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 happens with me sometimes i uh, i know i'm supposed to or or should um uh do a uh, do an outline and wow. what i end up normally doing is uh, uh, uh just a story idea you know beginning and middle and uh, and an end and a lot of times my stories start from the middle and work their work their way out and you um, know why I, marty because the voices in your head are the ones that write the story, and when we try to do an outline, they take us in the direction they want to go. Mm, yeah, yeah, no, I agree, I agree. And I prefer to listen to the voices in my head. Well, that sounds kind of weird. Uh, no, it doesn't. Trust me, I understand. I, Remember, we had this discussion before the show. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, and that, that, that's funny because when we were talking about that, I, that, that's what I thought. I thought, wow, you know, that's kind of how I work too. You know? Yeah. It, Whatever it the just somehow feels do. more, it's more natural. You'll, you yes. go with those voices because that's what's going to, that's where you're going to hit pay dirt. And, and if you, if, because I was raised the old way of you're going to write a story, you do an outline, you do big letter Big number, Roman number one, with little letter two. And little, uh-huh. and I'm going, if mm-hmm. I had to go through all this trouble, why am I bothering writing the damn story? I've just written it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's a, good, that's a good point. I mean, there's, you know, <laughs> you've already written it once. Now you're writing it again. Yeah, mm. and, and my you teachers know, hated me because I wouldn't do an outline. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. That's wonderful. Uh, I, I, I heard style. an interview. Of, did you? Do you ever worry that you'll run out of stories? No. I know uh. because when I when I think I've gone bone dry, this little voice in the back of my head goes, "Hey, you! Hey, <laughs> hey! Remember me?" <laughs> well, and that's and you find that from your life experience too, because um, oh yeah, you. You've, you've been a bounty hunter. My gosh, you must have stories. That oh, I have stories. From from it's, that alone. And, and, and I, I heard an interview. Well, and that's where a lot of stuff happens, and I hate to say it, but it's 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 a problem that we have as humans. We have a a great capacity for doing evil. And you know yes. this as a as a as a as a bounty hunter. You know this, and I'd go so far as to say it's our default. And and for anyone who doesn't believe me, just just get cut off once during a Chicago or Atlanta rush hour jam, <laughs> and what's the first thing that pop into your head or out of your mouth? It's not a blessing. 
Well, see, but see, I drew. I grew up driving in Atlanta traffic, so that that doesn't bother me. What bothers me is down here in Florida. I'm in my lane, minding my business, and Joe Blow decides he wants to make a left-hand turn out of a right-hand lane and comes over <laughs> in front of me, and I'm supposed to stop oh. on a dime. Oh yeah! Oh my God! Then I lose my religion. <laughs> <laughs> And that's understandable. That's I send understandable. monkeys flying, you know, I speak in unknown <laughs> tongues, I send spells. <laughs> oh, gosh. And I, I, I'm sometimes worried about it, about about not having stories to tell. And I have to, I, I just have to remember that I have had a very got, rich and very life already. How could uh, you ever run out of well, I was I, just sitting I, here I, thinking you, my darling, have the the most absolute wonderful story in your own backyard. Think oh, about gosh, it. Yeah. Your dad, yeah. your mom, the family history, what you could do with that at a vampire or two, and you've got a story. <laughs> oh, I draw on a lot of stuff. I do. See? Um, and and I, I heard an interview with Nora Roberts on NPR a few weeks back. and Now, Nora Roberts has had over 200 novels published, and that's only under her real name. You know, she's also been published under pseudonyms, uh, let's see, um, J.D. Robb, yeah. Jill March, and uh, Sarah Hardesty. Okay. And she was asked in this interview if she was ever afraid that she would run out of stories to tell. And she said something that I think is just a wonderful a profoundly motivational quote. She said, a keyboard has 88 keys, but we never run out of music. Exactly. And I thought, wow, that's a great, that's a wonderful quote. And I just need to keep that in mind because I got, you know, Lord willing, I don't have a stroke and forget all this stuff. I, there's there's a lot of stuff that I could write about. My gosh, absolutely. I, I got on a, I got on a tricycle at four years old and rode a mile <laughs> away from home. And who? What kid could do that now? Oh, for goodness' sake! Well, you know what? It's it's. I, I think we all believe that there was a more innocent time. You know, especially as we get older, happen. and and yeah, and things thing. around us get worse. But if we take an honest look back, just an honest look, every decade has that moment when we might say, well, this was the end of the innocence. And speaking um, of innocence, we are going to run out of time. Oh, goodness. Yep, well, you're right. It just flies. (laughs) But you will come back, right? Oh, uh, I would come back tomorrow if I could. Well, if I had an open spot, I'd bring you back tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I would, I'd look forward to coming back as soon as you could have me. I, I All right, I'm going to send you that. some dates, maybe September, October. But in the meantime, tell the folks where you can be found, where your short stories can be found, so that you can send some more money to St. Herman's, when the book will be out, where it can be found, and all that good stuff. Okay, the short stories uh, you can find at sh- at uh, Smashword Fish. Oh, I can't talk either right now. Uh, at <laughs> Smashwords.com. Um, I uh, have links to that on my website, which is down right now for uh, uh, lack of payment. <laughs> but we'll be back up by Monday. Uh, smashwords.com, you can find those. Uh, just look up Marty Ropelt, 
and uh, that'll take you to that page. My uh, novel, Mortal Foe, has not been published yet, uh, and I'm assuming it's going to be available on Amazon. I'm, I'm pretty sure it'll be available on, Am- on Amazon. And we're looking at uh, publishing within the next couple of months, um, right about in time for spring training baseball teams. There you go. Uh, getting ready to go for the regular season. And he can be found on Facebook under Martin R. Rompelt, right? Uh, Martin M. Rompelt is our is my uh, uh, daily page, my my uh, regular page, and I've got a page under for my author page is Marty Rompelt. So you can get me two places in, uh, on Facebook. And yes, ladies and gentlemen, y'all want to keep up for when Mortal Foe comes out because if. If the book is anything like the man, I'm going to tell you, you won't be able to put it down. Oh, I'm going to get it. Thank you so and much. That is so it. kind. So, and I can't oh, wait to bring it back because he's so much fun. Y'all know how I am about my guest. I just adopt him. I can't help it. It's it's a southern thing. <laughs> <laughs> if, if I was a dog, I'd follow you home. <laughs> <laughs> you have an eccentric cat, which we didn't get to talk about, but we'll talk oh, about that next yes. time. Yeah, Fritz, he is eccentric. So tomorrow night, (laughs) ladies and gentlemen, country and western music artist Garrett Walker will be with us again. Next Wednesday night, we start a brand new week with author Rains Rail, and y'all have heard him before. The man is absolutely, he is off the chain, too. On Thursday night, homemaker, domestic engineer, and homeschooling mom, Melissa Green, will be with us. She's been with us before. She is absolutely magnificent. On Friday night, author Terry Maggart will be making her first appearance. And on Saturday night, author Sandy Wright will be with us. She has been with us before. All of these shows will be at 8 o'clock Eastern Standard Time. Now, y'all all know that because this show reaches so many people i like to leave y'all with little easter eggs and one of those easter eggs is don't just feel special be special because if you just feel special you'll never be special because feeling is an emotion you want to be more than an emotion you are special so understand that when you look at yourself in the mirror you say i am special that brings me to the difference between who you are and who you want to be is what you do so if you want to be something different than you are now, change what you do. And if you want to achieve greatness, ladies and gentlemen, please stop asking permission because nobody's going to give it to you because they want to keep you down with them. Just go out and do it. Dare to do great things and dare to be great. Your smile is your logo. Your personality is your business card. How you leave others feeling after having had that experience with you, ladies and gentlemen, your trademark people will forget your name they will forget what you look like they will never ever ever forget how you made them feel marty thank you so much for being my guest tonight it has been an absolute marvel i've had so much fun and i hope you have i can't oh i have had a i thank you so much i've had a, a wonderful time you are an absolute delight and thank you for doing this show well, you are quite welcome. So with that, ladies and gentlemen, and Marty, don't hang up when the show goes dark. With that, ladies and gentlemen, I am your host, Yvonne Mason, on Off the Chain with my guest, author, Marty Rumpelt. That's R-O-P-P-E-L-T. 
T. Remember that because this young man is going to go far. So with that being said, we both tell you all have a great evening. Join us tomorrow night at 8 o'clock Eastern Daylight Time. And until then, we say good night. Okay, the show is now dark, but everything we talk about is will show up in the archive part of the show, sort of like the outtakes in film. Right, right. But what I wanted to tell you is once we hang up and this show archives, I'm going to download it. I'm also going to tag you in the link so that you can spread it around to your network on both your pages and wherever else. You can put it on your, on your uh, website when you get it back up. Tomorrow... Okay. I'm going to upload it on SoundCloud, MixCloud, I mean MixCloud, SoundCloud, Spreaker, Podcast.com, and Podcast Garden. It automatically uploads to Stitcher, iTunes, YouTube, um, FM.com, TuneIn Radio, and iHeartRadio. Goodness. But I will oh, tag you in all of those in those links so that you can spread it around as well, because you're going to be heard in over 100 com- countries with all the podcasts that we do. I sure hope I didn't say anything embarrassing. <laughs> it's all the same. It I doesn't did. matter. <laughs> well, there, yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. <laughs> this, this show, people can just be who they are. Oh, it's it's such a wonderful. Wonderful. You have you have created your own niche. Thank it you. seems. And and have done a just a marvelous job of Wow, I don't even know how to put this. Of creating a niche and making it your own. And and just having this wonderful um your personality, you're so open, you're so you're so welcoming, you're 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 just an, an absolute love, and I, I really enjoyed this, and I enjoy your show, and uh, what you're doing for for all of us uh, is is both important and fun. Well, and, it's and, fun. Uh, as a child and as an adult, I watched a lot of Johnny Carson, and the one thing that oh, I yeah. learned from watching Johnny is. When he brought out an unknown, and a lot of his guests were unknown until they came on his show, then they became uh-huh. known everywhere. And what he did is he would sit them on the couch, he would have his notes, and more times than not they went over his shoulder because they went totally off script, and he talked with them about them, did not talk about their, their song, their book, their product until towards the end of the interview. They would go perform their song. They would talk about their book. But Johnny brought people out of their shell, and they would talk about things that normally they wouldn't have. And and I hope that's what I do here is I just bring people out. And I've had people say, Yvonne, I don't know where that came from. I didn't mean to talk about that, but I'm glad I did. Because (laughs) you're in my home. I have invited you into my home. And as a Southern woman, when we invite people into our home, we treat them very special. We spoil them. We listen. We offer them encouragement. There's just things that are that are normal to me, and I hope that's what yeah. I've done for all of y'all when I invite you to my home. Oh, I get that sense very strongly. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, uh, it, it's more than just treating. Uh, it's more than just treating with respect. 
Um, I mean, you do that too, obviously, but uh, it, it's 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 more than that. It's a it's a good couple of steps beyond. Um, and and there is a very welcoming and a very very homey feeling to it. Thank you. Um, it's a it's a it's a conversation. Uh, it, 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 it's just it, boy, I can't even I can't even say enough good things about this. <laughs> well, really. honey, I it's it, it's very humbling to to hear you say that because that tells me that what I have done is what I set out to do, and that is not only to make y'all successful, but to make y'all understand that you have a purpose and and what you are doing is worthwhile. And even though we hit bumps in the road and there's days that are very discouraging, we cannot give up our dreams. No one can take our dreams without our permission. And if if everybody else walks away and we as a collective family of artists support each other and hold on to those dreams and help each other realize those dreams, we are that much more successful. That's you know what uh, th- that harkens back to something that I learned many years ago um, when I was um, when I was in New York and I was all of like 18 years old and I was wet behind the ears and um, my uh, uh, my friend my new friend Mark Halswit uh, was doing all this stuff for me because he got me into the uh, into the company at Spectrum Theater too. Uh, as well as on the soap opera, and uh, um, I just one day I looked at him. I said, "Mart, I, I thank you for doing all this. Why are you doing this?" And uh, he said, um, "Well, don't even ask why. Just when somebody has, when, when you have opportunity to help somebody who is just starting out, um, the best thing, the best way you can thank me is by doing the same thing for them, paying it forward." And a and lot I of said, people yeah. helped me that way. They helped me down through the years when I first started in this business. I've been. I started. I tried started trying to get published in the 1990s. That's how mm-hmm. long it's been. And I finally published my first book in 2007. Mm. And, and when I well, started, talk about perseverance. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm kind of stupid that way. But my brother, if you ever read Dreamcatcher, <laughs> failure was never an option. You'll understand oh, why. Man. I cannot let my handicapped brother outshine me. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> you are you are not stupid. You have been many things in your life, but you are not stupid. There's well, there's no stupid there. When when you get rejected so many times, you can wallpaper a house. People tend to go, "What am I doing?" But when when your handicapped brother learns to ride a bicycle and you're 13 years old and he's 13 months younger than you and you're looking at him and you're afraid to get on a bicycle and this brother who's never supposed to walk, talk, or feed himself is riding a bicycle, you go, how stupid are you, Yvonne? He's not afraid to step out of his comfort zone. Why are you? <laughs> he talks well, a lot. Yeah, he there's a fear is a, um, fear is a, fear is a, fear is a handicap. Yep, it is. And, and I just said, okay, enough. I'm, uh, I, I want to do this. I'm going to do this. So I started right when indie publishing was still a dirty word. Mm-hmm. So I've I've been yeah. through all of the rejections and the, uh, you know, indie public indie authors are stupid and indie authors can't write and indie authors will never do this and indie authors will never do that. Well, we've shown them because we yeah. are the ones that broke into making. Uh, social networking our friend making um 
ebooks or friends, doing uh-huh. all the things that the traditional publishers didn't do. So authors like y'all don't have to travel that road. Well, and uh, I'll tell you, I, I personally, I'm very, I'm, I'm, I'm humbly grateful that uh, that you and that others like you have uh, have paved that road. That you've, and that we you've wanted gone to over it, and that you along with us. <laughs> Just yeah. get ready to fly, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's fine. Well, well, I'll, I'll, I'll pull, I'll pull up the laces. I'm ready to go. Just reach for the reach for the the star reach for the moon and then just go beyond the stars because yeah. you were not limited in any area of being an author anymore. Nope, I just need to I, I, I just need to not limit myself. That's stop being really the main thing, Marty. Just reach out there and grab it. Right. Ask yourself how right. bad do I want it and then go get it. Well, apparently I've wanted this uh, for a long time. I just, I didn't know it for a long time. And you know what? Acting is really just another form of storytelling. That's so, right. That's uh, I didn't really, I, I guess, in a way, I never really got away from the writing. Uh, not entirely. There you go. And, and see, uh, this, was, this show was a five-year dream. Oh, I've been planning gosh. a show for five years. And since I can't do events anymore because I take care of my, my husband, this was a perfect time. Right, right. And it just fell right into place. So all things come in their time. Wow. And that's something that I've told uh, um, uh, I told Janet uh, Perry, who is uh, she's my publisher, uh, uh-huh. her, her Dragon Breath Press. Uh, I'm, I'm going through her. Um, she's, she wanted to have this done by Christmas, actually, by last, last year Christmas, uh, have Mortal Fall published by then. And some things came up, and then some more things came up, and they're, they're most you know personal things. And she kept apologizing for not getting to the final draft, and apologizing and apologizing. I finally said, Janet, all things in God's good time. Exactly. Now I am not worried about this whatsoever. If it's not supposed to be published by Christmas, then it doesn't get published by Christmas. If it's not supposed to be published by before thing, um, uh, Valentine's Day, then it doesn't get published. It will get published, but it'll get published when God wants it published. All, all things in His good time. Yep, He's got the big so, picture. and she just kind of like, oh, thank you for being so patient. I said, oh, you know what? It's it's you know it's not about me. It's the way the God of the universe and talk about a story. All of our stories, all of our life stories, are part of this massive, great, big, gigantic story. Written by the master storyteller. See, there's you another book. It's just you know when you if you if you think about it too much, your head hurts. <laughs> <laughs> it's just huge. The billions of people who have existed already are all part of this story that he is writing, uh-huh. and it just astonishes me every time I think about it. There's you another story, my friend. So I'm not I'm not at all concerned when it comes out. Believe me, you'll be one of the first to know because I'll be taking out an ad. And, and, uh, and okay, and we'll launch it on the show. I'll do a special show to launch your book. Oh my gosh, that would be just I I can't even. Well, you know what? You if if you did that, you might have to bounce somebody, which would really no, I don't know how I, happy they'd be about I have that. Nights, I have I have other, I have. 
I have Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday nights open. I have three nights open. So okay. I could do a special show. No, I will do a special show to launch your book, so I will be well in your world. Oh, that's so sweet. Thank you so much for that. I will um, definitely take you up on it because we're we're looking at I'm, we're looking at spring training. We're looking at uh, probably March, the way things are going. And see, as that's, long that's as, when uh, the book needs to come out because it needs yeah. to come out in conjunction with baseball season. That's what I think. That should that's be your I tagline. Absolutely, absolutely. It 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 plays a. It plays a part that I hope doesn't lose uh, uh, readers, you know, baseball does, because uh, not everybody's going to be into the game, not everybody's going to know the game, but um, I, I tried to write it in such a way that it's not, you know, uh, it, it's not all about that. And it's, it certainly you, is not all right, about that. Here's your tagline. Here's your tagline. This gives a new meaning to the word play ball. <laughs> nice. Nice. Think okay. about it. Just let it germinate yeah. all around in your head a little while. But I am going yeah. to let you go and enjoy your evening, and I will get all of this to you, and I cannot wait to get you back. And thank you so much, my dear. I'm so looking forward to it. Thank you so much, Yvonne. I really, really appreciate it. This was an absolutely wonderful hour plus. Really appreciate it. Thank you. And like I said, all this is going to show up in the archive show, so when people listen to the archives, they're going to hear all these little this little extra 12 minutes we've done. Oh, excellent. Well, I'll tell you what. I'll leave you with a joke then. Okay. <laughs> Lots of people cry when they cut onions. Uh-huh. The, the trick is to not form an emotional bond. <laughs> I love it. And with that, we say good night, Marty. (laughs) Thank you so much, Yvonne. Good night. You're welcome, honey. Good night. Bye-bye.